When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today is Friday, July 22nd, and this is Celtics Beat here on CLNS Media, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. Evan Valenti filling in for Adam Kaufman again this week. Episode 470 featuring Barstool Sports Dan Greenberg. It's powered by BetOnline.ag. Go to BetOnline.ag today. Use that promo code CLNS50. That's CLNS50 for a 50% sign-up bonus. Welcome inside, everybody. Evan Valenti back with you. Adam Kaufman taking a break. We're flip-flopping here. I go on a little mini vacation last week. You know, you got to get away, take the girlfriend away for the anniversary, obviously. Adam, we have flipped it. He's, you know, spending some time with his family this weekend. This is the beauty of summer where we have the ability to not react all the time to games and news. We can take some time off. We don't have to be as serious. We're in that particular time right now. And with that, we bring in Dan Greenberg, Barstool Sports. And, yeah, you know, Dan, we, we're in this particular time where nothing really of any consequence is going to happen for the Boston Celtics. We've, we've gone past the $7.1 million TPE date. That is gone. We'll get into that. Uh, Summer League is over. We're going to get into that. Uh, and there's some, you know, periphery news. So there's, you know, not a lot going on. And it's nice to have a team kind of set up already for 22, 23 and not have to really worry about, are they going to trade for Kevin Durant? They're going to trade for Donovan Mitchell. They're going to trade for this guy, that guy, this guy. It's nice to have uh, a summer where all we really have to worry about Dan is like internal improvement from the Jays really. And that's, and that's about it. Yeah. I mean, well, my first question would be, what's it like to, to not care about the results of games and things just because I I found myself you know, on edge when the Celts blew their summer league opener, like it was game six of the <laughs> NBA finals. So I don't really know what that level of mindset is like. It must be nice to be able to to step away. I'm a little, I wouldn't say I'm jealous because, you know, this is my, my lifehood, but yeah. at the same time, you're right. It's, it's a weird dynamic where, you know, I think we're all just waiting for October, right? All the right. big, there wasn't really any big dominoes outside of the Brogdon trade, but that was like, you know, at the beginning of free agency. So these yeah. last few weeks have just been, you know, I'm waiting for some workout videos to hit my timeline. Mm-hmm. I'm waiting to see, you know, the the veteran minimum additions to round out the roster. Right. But it is a weird, like, you know, why is it only July 22nd and not, you know, October 3rd? Type I know, right? I feel that. I'm waiting for, like, Jalen used to do all these summer video series back in the day. Like, yeah. One of them was, like, hone the pressure it makes diamonds you always do one of these like summer workout videos like that were several episodes deep there was like him training with grandfather you know he was like boxing yeah, a little boxing, bit. Yeah. I, I miss that. those yeah. I, I would I would appreciate one of those with him and just t-mac grinding like for well, I was gonna say, we got, yeah we got that one it was like maybe 15 seconds of him and t-mac you I know, need way more of that yeah a little king of the court and it was nowhere near enough yeah uh, especially because you know I'm I mean, there's no Tatum workout videos. There's no, I don't know. I mean, 
I saw Marcus was playing golf. So like, sure, everyone's resting, but like Mm -hmm. at the same time, there's, you know, neurotic people like us that are, you know, fiending for something. I just, we're we're content kings here. We need the, we need like stuff to react to. This is impossible. It could just be like Peyton Pritchard making a hundred straight threes. You know, I I would pay serious money to watch like Grant Williams shoot on the stuff that lethal shooter shoots on like all this yeah. weird like rims and stuff like i don't that. have i don't have you know it doesn't need to be much it just needs to be something because you know like i said it's it's july 22nd i think trading camp probably is in late september early october or something like that so we are we are nowhere close and it's not even like we're waiting on some big free agent domino or anything like that we're all just kind of in this weird optimistic everything is great at the moment I'm still trying to block out the finals for my brain type situation. It's it's an interesting place I haven't been in in quite some time. Yeah, we're in like you know, we have blogs to write and podcasts to record. We need yeah. content to react to it. It's just <laughs> tough right now. But coming off the summer league, uh, you know, it's again, it's fun. I think when you have like kind of, I, I guess this is a weird way to put it. Like when you have a Jason Tatum or a Jalen Brown, yeah. feel like the summer league games are way more important. You know. Uh, watching Paulo Bancaro just kill everybody was fun mm-hmm. as hell. You know, Keegan Murray having a have a great summer league. That like that's always fun when you're Boston and everybody's kind of like a second round pick, or you know, uh, you have you know Davidson or you have Kevin Gelly or like it's a few, if we're like too many guys. You know, Yamadar not being there was kind of a bummer for me. But like there wasn't really a guy that I had to tune in and see, with the exception of Davidson, and and then the you know as we'll get to in a second, the improvement some of the guys that. Um, like Sam Hauser being there was kind of cool, but didn't really have to do a whole lot. And, you know, yeah. I guess going forward, he's going to have a roster spot and that's pretty important because, you know, he's one of the few really great shooters, but like, there's just, it, it was, there wasn't that spark this year, Greeny, I, 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 other than like the guys that were looking for second year improvements out of, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was weird because even last year when there wasn't like that, you know, like a Tatum or a high lottery pick, coming in for the first time, it was still exciting because you had Romeo and Neesmith and Pritchard who were guys where you were excited for their second and third year leaps where in theory they were going to get, you know, legit rotation minutes. Obviously that didn't happen uh, once we got into the season, but this year it was different because once Brad traded half the summer league roster for Malcolm Brockton, (laughs) it was kind of like, you know, it was a shift in focus and it was like, now we're just looking at even the guy that was going to be in the rotation in Sam Hauser is like his spot is solidified. So it really wasn't even like a, a prove it summer league for him. So really it was more just let's check in on all the projects and see how they're developing and, and have fun and, and hopefully avenge their finals loss uh, in last year's summer league final. But I can tell you from being there, it was, it was just as awesome. I can't yeah. even lie. It was just, you know, from seeing – I didn't obviously watch a lot of J.D. at Alabama, so I was really interested to see him and sort of, you know, YouTube told me he was this super explosive dunking point guard. But then when we got to Summer League, he was the best passer in the of any point guard in the entire, you know, in the entire league. So now I'm thinking, wait, did they just find a legitimate player and reserve point guard at 53? And then Cab comes out of nowhere and legitimately earns himself a two-way spot, which could potentially be converted if he plays well to a real-time spot. 
And then there was Yuhan. I mean, I am so in on Yuhan. Yeah. You, know, you want to always clear the runway now? Do, do I, like, let's do it. I can't okay. hold it in. Let's just so, do it. So let's set the stage here because I kind of want to call you out for just a second. Okay. In your summer, your final summer league crush standings. Yes. Kelly is number yep. one. And I just yep. think you're lying to yourself because I, listen, it's, <laughs> it says it's a, it's a scientific equation without having any science behind it. It's pure, okay. it's pure heart. So for me, I factor in, I factor in all the games. I factor in how they make me feel in the moment when I watch them. And I, he was just too consistent over all five of their games. You know, he, he moved into the top spot after the second game, I believe. Mm-hmm. And I was waiting for him to just not show up in a game so that I could move Yuhan ahead of him. But Cab showed up. He was a double-double machine. He was catch- he reminded me of, you know, uh, a Rob Light where he's he has this vertical thread. He's catching alley-oops. He's having these loud blocks. I I have no regrets keeping him number one. But, you know, my hope is that Yuhan sees that and uses it for motivation over in Europe and then comes back and, and wins it next year. Yeah, I, I, I you know. I, I, my, my number one is Davison and I'll save that for a second, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, Begarin, when you look at last year versus this year, and I know you're moving around soon. I'm so I know the sun, I'm my window. It, it, it's just a losing battle everywhere, everywhere <laughs> you are. Um, so just for the people that are watching this on YouTube, they're going to be like, what the hell is he doing? Sun is currently just infiltrating every inch of that room and he can't get away from it. Um, but like, look at last year and it was, just a guy who's like super athletic and long, but mm-hmm. like hasn't quite figured out how to play basketball yet. And I'm not saying he doesn't know how to play basketball. He obviously, but it's just how to the next step, the next level. He clearly like wasn't quite ready for that yet. And mm-hmm. it's tough because, you know, as much as I love Timmy, he, you know, he, he can't do literally everybody, you know, he can't keep an eye on everybody and, and keeping an eye on uh, McGarren is going to be kind of tough throughout the season. And, you know, we haven't seen him in a long time. So he shows up and he was a little, I think, rusty, maybe nervous yep. from the start. But, you know, as you profiled, the guy settled in. And once he settled in, he looked like, you know, not maybe not, um, you know, one of these high lottery guys. But he looks like a potential impact two-way guard who can at least change the game with his pacing. You know, yeah. we'll, we'll wait on the, the you know, the three-point shot, the free throw shot and all that and all the – the little minutiae that comes later. But at the very least, Dan, he looks like a guy that could come in, guard up, guard down, uh, change the game with his energy, um, you know, and and be a somewhat pretty decent, like mechanically good shooters. And like yeah. if you look at this Celtics team, that's kind of really all they really need, you know, in terms of filling out the the, the periphery of the roster. Like he doesn't – not every player they draft has to be some stu- superstar. Now, no, they got those two guys. We're good there. Right. It's about adding the collective pieces around Jason and Jalen. And, you know, Begarin might be one of those guys considering his athletic profile at this point, right? Yeah. I mean, a few things stood out to me right away is his build is ridiculous. I mean, you have to remember he's 19 years old. And his frame and his profile – I mean, he looks like Jalen right now. It's bananas. The second was his demeanor. For a kid who's 19 years old, and even when he was struggling to start summer, like I think there were games he would shoot like one for five or one for six to start. And then there was the play where he murdered someone off a nice off-ball cut. You could not tell the difference in his facial reaction. And for a team that 
at times, you know, we see have mental composure issues. They sort of lose their shit every now and then. I was really impressed for a guy that young to just be so even keeled in obviously these games don't mean anything, but just it's, it's the highest level of competition that he'll have faced, you know, and he was so steadfast, whether it was good or bad, which I think this roster needs. And I mean, his athleticism, he's a defense first guy, but the free throw shooting is the form and everything that goes into that is so good. I think you can trust that his jump shot will come around. And as summer league went on, we saw much better and much more consistent outside shooting, which is just, it's a nice to have, right? It's an added bonus because he's like a slasher finisher at the rim, defensive first guy. And I just look at him and I say, if this is the worst he's ever going to be, you can't let him out of your, out of your system. You have to find a way. If that means you have to bring him over next year when maybe, you know, he may not be ready do it because get him in the system and, and try to, you know, develop him that way because he does have an NBA body. He does have NBA athleticism. You can teach him to shoot, but you can't teach, you know, the frame and the instinct and all that stuff. Uh, so I, like I said, I was in love with him. I'm trying to evaluate him on like on a scale on one end you have on a, on a small forward scale. So on one end you have, Tatum and Brown, who is obviously best case scenario. Right. On the other end, you have our beloved James Young, Romeo, Aaron Neesmith end. Yeah. So as long as he can find a way to trend closer to the Jays and further away from the James Young experience, I think they found something. And obviously, you know, I just wanted to see it's a check-in for him because like you said, Timmy the goat can only give us so many, you know, uh, French league highlights. So right. To see him in person and to see some actual development was was very exciting. Yeah, again, you know, you look at the dis- now we we have like displaced love that we got to find a home for. You like you mentioned James Young, Aaron Neesmith, Romeo Langford. Like that's just we got to find a guy, the potential guy to latch onto at this point. And right. I think he's probably one the of these player. has to stick, right? You yeah, can't- I know it's it just struck out so many times on this. At least at some point, they got to be. You know, they got to land this thing. You know, 18 points per game in Summer League. Um, didn't shoot the ball super well from outside, but, you know, it wasn't on a, a ton of attempts. You know, 33%, better from the line, 77%. But just – it's just more about – and it, like, Summer League is a tough evaluation just because these guys haven't really played together before and nobody has any real rhythm. And, right. you know, it's just kind of like a free-for-all. It, you, basically, you hope that nobody gets hurt. At the, at the very least, like, just nobody get hurt. This is just, it's just nice to have a little like wet the whistle sort of basketball to have um, just to see some guys, you know, to play for a little bit. And, you know, at the end of the day, just hope nobody gets hurt. But like that being said, you know, his ability to, like you talked about his demeanor a little bit. And it seemed like in the last couple of games, he took a little bit more upon himself to maybe be more of like, and everybody loves using the word alpha, being the (laughs) alpha. But it seemed like he was kind of like the guy that, you know, things aren't going super well, just give him the ball and see if he can make something happen. Like him and JD, I think have a, a, a good, you know, uh, feel for, you know what, just give me the ball out of the way. Like, let me see if I can get something, some going. And because he's so athletic and, and, and has such great straight line speed, he's able to get by guys, get to the rack. And then the one thing I'll say that's going to be huge in this development is going to be his pull-up jumper game. Cause people are going to, you know, sell out on his driving so much. Right. 
And if, if he can find a way, and this is the same for a, a lot of guys, like Jalen and Jason have to get better at this a little bit too. Now, Jalen has done a better job of figuring that out. And, mm-hmm. you know, Jason, again, has is good at so many things. But, again, he can get a little better at that. Um, you know, knowing when to rise and fire instead of keep driving to the basket. That's going to be kind of the biggest thing for him as he's, you know, as he goes forward here is, you know, working on the three-point shot, obviously, working on his free throws. But then in between game, you know, again, only 19, but that, that, that last piece there where that's the money spot. Yeah. yeah where guys are going to respect his drive so much where you, you know, you're going to have so much cushionness to pull up and rise up over guys. Again, because he's so, you know, athletic and long, he's going to be able to do that. I think relatively easy. It's just going to be about feel and timing and all that stuff. And hopefully, and whether it's overseas or as you mentioned, maybe next year with the main, you know, the, the main Celtics, I almost called them the Red Claws for a minute, the main Celtics, uh, you know, that, that would be something to keep an eye on. And that's, I think, you know, as we look for him to develop with the next year, like that's kind of the one of the biggest things I'm looking for at the end of the day. Yeah, I'm with you. Like summer league is weird because, you know, I live by the mantra where anything good that you see in summer league absolutely will translate into the regular. <laughs> and then anything bad you can see in summer league, Here. you can just ignore because <laughs> the games are fake. They don't matter. So it's, I usually look at it for like, you can tell right away if a guy can hang or not with this right. level of competition, right? So you're using it like when we, I remember when you know last year when we saw Peyton Pritchard, he averaged like 50 points a game. It was time. amazing. It was, the the, the pro am game coming off that and like yeah, hey, oh my goodness. Like you knew okay, like coming into his second year, like he's an NBA player. Right. You know, Aaron E. Smith showed the flashes of like his athleticism is can translate into you know the NBA level. Um, it's tough because you know the the percentages and, and the, that kind of thing is tough because it's a volume issue. Like, you know, if you, if Ruhan made, you know, one more three, maybe his percentage is 39% as opposed to 33. So it's more just like, how does his form look and how is his confidence? So that was all great. I just, I'm excited that, you know, we were all, or at least me was just wanting to see, you know, I don't know if everybody cared, but for me, it was just like, show me progress. Show me there's a reason why, I'm obsessing over this 19-year-old French beast of an athlete. Like, give me some substance to it. And we got that. So now it's going to be, okay, when he comes back next year, I want to see, you know, a much more, you know, a continued development in his jumper, better play recognition like you talked about, um, and just an overall just, you know, let's see what he looks like when he's 20 years old. Like, you have to remember him and JD, like, they're not even 20 years old yet. And, like, to see the way that J.D. was able to control offenses and find lobs and play in the pick and roll, you're you're sitting there, you're like, how the hell did this dude go 53? Like, I know he had high turnovers. You know, he wasn't the most efficient offensive player. But, like, the foundation is there for a guy that could be pretty good. And when you're talking about the 53rd pick, I mean, historically, I mean, who is that? Those are guys that, you know, didn't even make your preseason roster. So, the way that Brad talked about him after the draft to then see him immediately back that up in summer league, it was, was pretty eye opening. Yeah. And Nate Oates is a great coach and he admitted like, you know, it wasn't the best situation for him. He battled, you know, blah, 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 blah. I, I, I love the way Nate Oates has kind of transformed Alabama a little bit. They've become a really fun team to watch uh, throughout the season. And JD is the guy, if I had to have a summer league crush ranking list, he's number one for me, like not even close just because of the offensive field stuff. You know, on a team where he hasn't played with any of these guys before, and he comes out, he's like throwing lobs to 
you know, whether it was Williams or it was Kevin Galley or like he's just his feel for the game was way higher than I expected. And I think on both ends, like he was a really great, you know, shot blocker considering his size. You led all point guards in blocks with one and a half a game. As yeah, a and he led the whole summer league in assists yeah. with eight point two a game. Now I know, like you know, you know, Josh Giddy was right behind him, and Giddy didn't play nearly as much. So, but like, still, it's, we can flex a little bit about that. Like that's still yeah. a stat that still happened. It, it's, um, it's real. I saw it. You saw it. It, yeah. it actually happened. Yeah, shot over forty percent from three. Like he has again. a really excellent speed um again it can change the pace of the game a little bit like that's the one thing that drives me crazy about boston sometimes and why i really enjoyed the Derek white edition and i think pritchard does this really well is you know pushing the pace after their team makes a basket um it seems like jd can be you know pretty good at that and and giving boston maybe a little more advantageous situation instead of trying to set up against a half-court defense all the time um but like this I, i just was really I mean, you can't miss him with the hair, obviously. He's just flying all over the place. Well, I was sad he didn't have the fro. I know, uh, but he still had something. That was still like – it wasn't like it was something small. It was still a lot of volume, just a little bit different. You know, but I – to get that at 53, to get a guy that was like, oh, you know, this guy might be a a rotate – like you're hoping for that. Like when they drafted Peyton Pritchard, when they drafted Grant Williams or Rob Williams, you're like, what? Let's hope this guy can fill out a spot for himself, like on uh, on the bench somewhere. You're hoping, like you know, when you get out of the lottery, you're hoping for you know a three and D guy rotate rotation player. Sometimes you end up with a Jimmy Butler. Um, we all know that guys like Draymond Green and Nikola, you know, Jokic. Those are the most extreme outliers humanly possible. Like Nikola Jokic, considering NBA history, is probably the best draft pick ever of all time. You know, but. If you find a guy who's a rotation player potentially down the road, which I think JD is at number 53, like that's such a huge home run. Like I said, you know, kind of jokingly to some of you know my friends, some, you know, and this is the hype machine already in my head, but I'm like, the C's picked Dennis Smith Jr. at 53. Like when Dennis Smith Jr. went, what, top eight, I think, well, in that draft? Pre injury, pre injury, Dennis Smith Jr. <laughs> right, exactly. So it, he it, fell off a little bit, but yeah, he, I hear a little bit. Um, <laughs> but like that, to get that kind of value late when, you know, uh, nobody expects you to amount to anything, or like, because those are like draft and stash guys too. Like you draft them, like, uh, you know, uh, Zuan is, was what, 50? Was he in the 40s or 50s when he was, he was I think it was either mid to late 40s. I think. Okay. Like so that's, 40, the, that's the type of guy you get normally at that spot. But to get a real guy who looks like – again, he looks like a real guy so far. We'll, we'll see yeah. how it goes. And I don't know if he'll get any time on the big league roster, but it'll definitely make, uh, you know, a lot of uh, highlights down in Maine for sure. Like, I can't believe they got him there. Yeah. And to watch how, you know, uh, seamlessly his game kind of works itself into the NBA game. Like, this is such a home run for Braddock. Like, Brad just keeps winning. He, has, right. he doesn't know how to miss. It's literally insane. I mean, and it's important for a couple reasons, right? They're going to be a very expensive roster for the foreseeable future, right? Okay. So making sure you're finding value and hitting on picks in the draft where you can find some low-cost controlled players is very, very important for, you know, the back end and the, and the depth of the roster, right? When you're thinking of guys like Yuhan and JD who are picked in the 40s and 50s, it's basically all upside, right? If they hit, it's a home run. If they don't, like your franchise isn't ruined because you missed on the 53rd pick of the draft. Yeah, it's not like, so you, it's like uh, you know, Ben Simmons or Markel Fultz, like first overall. Or right. Something. Like it's, 
it's a situation where their roster is is built in all the important areas where now they have the luxury of, you know, trying to find these diamonds in the rough and develop them and take their time with them. Because if someone like JD hits, well, that's going to help you with, you know, opening up potential flexibility for deals with guys already on your roster, or maybe as guys age and you want to limit minutes, things like that. So we'll see. I mean, again, it's summer. We're all, you know, we're all, you know, drunk off the Kool-Aid. I'm, I'm with it. Yeah. Right. It's, it's an interesting angle to look at how Brad has built the roster and say, okay, you know, we have these two projects that are actually shown to be real players Mm -hmm. and they're not going to cost a lot of money. And for a team that is spending and will be in the tax, you know, I would rather them give, you know, Yuhan a, a minimum deal than overspend on like a mid-level wing who is going to like, you know, command more of a role and have, you know, like Gallo at his stage of the career, I think is accepting what his role is. Right. But yeah. if we're projecting towards the future, you, you don't want to ruin what is already established, right? So if you can add to that with young guys who are, you know, just going to be happy to be in the NBA, but have legitimate skill, I think that's how, you know, a really deep championship caliber roster can be built. If you're Pritchard and you're looking around you, they bring in Malcolm Brogdon, and now they have Davidson. Like, he, 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 you know, it's a little warm in here if you're Peyton Pritchard. It's like, geez. Honestly, and it's like, and that was – and I felt, you know, he was coming off that summer league, like I said, average 50 points a game. And then he's coming into the year. He was, uh, you know, a do not play coach's decision for the first, like, you know, two or three months of the year. And you could just tell that that weighed on him. Then he actually starts getting minutes. And it's like, oh, shit, I forgot. This dude was a 40% three-point shooter. That can really help. So I don't know how they're going to – I feel for the guy. Like, yeah. you know, he didn't do anything to warrant not – seeing the floor, but it was clear, like, if you have the opportunity to add Brogdon for, you know, Aaron Neesmith and a ham sandwich, you have to do it. (laughs) You know, like, like he didn't exactly have, you know, he didn't really give up anything of substance. Right. Then I'm just thinking, I think the way that they can structure it is because he's such a good shooter, you can play him more off ball and just, you know, deal with him being an undersized two in certain lineups. Right. But then obviously like, you know, who knows how many games Brogdon's going to play? You know, who knows? I just think you have to keep him on the roster for that. But I fear he's going to go back into that role that we saw him have from like October to January where he just didn't play. And that just sucks because his shooting is real and it helps create space that is very valuable for the best players on your team. Right. Um, I just, he's got to hate his life. You know, I think if he was to give in truth serum, he'd be like, all right, well, fuck this. Let me get out of Let me get a situation where I can play. Right. But I just, I don't think they're going to trade him. I think if they do trade him, it would be for like a player of substance, you know, in, in a package. Like they're not going to trade Pritchard for a third string backup center is, is right. kind of what I'm getting at. They'd rather just roll the dice with him as a depth piece. And then if Brogdon or Smart or White get hurt, you know you have a proven guard, you know, to get those minutes. Yeah, and it's just it's just for – and I love Pritchard. He's – he's. Oh, uh, I'm rooting for him um, as a short white guy watching those. Yeah, I mean, as a, fe- as a fellow white guy, like, yeah. He yeah. was – every time I would see him play, it's like, oh, 
So when I was a kid and I would like fantasize about being a Celtic, like right. that's what I looked that's like. It. That's it right there. He's living our yeah. dream right now. So we're all, we're all on the band. It's yeah. just, you know, to, to have, you know, white there, Brogdon come in um, and then have Davison sit behind it. You know, it's just like, geez, am I going to ever have, but that's life in the NBA, brother. That's what it's going to be. And it's just, I, I feel for him a little bit and, you know, just, Given what we saw from Davison, I just—if I were him, I'd be like, God, can I just can just they just give me some time to get like real minutes and real rhythm? Not, but that's again, that's life in the NBA. I got to finish up here in summer league um, with Cab because you know he brings something a little different. You know, he's kind of like a blend of, and I'm not trying to like this is such a awful comparison but i'm just trying to make it easy for everybody he's got a little bit of rob and his three-point shooting is a little bit of al so it's kind of like yeah. a high not, not nearly as good as those two guys please <laughs> i understand I, I won't kill you for this i get where you're what you're please. getting at. i could just see be like what are you talking about like no 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 i'm just trying to he does a little bit of everything right he he's a that top of the key set three point shots. Great shot like, unbelievable you can hit that unbelievable you got to respect his presence at the rim you know uh He's a, you know, not the, not like a Rob level passer, not like a Williams level passer. Uh, what's the, uh, Travion Williams, like he, Travion Williams has got like better vision than like smart does. But like, oh my God. It was, it was, he, I was very impressed with him, but like Cab does a little bit of everything that Mm -hmm. as you look around the NBA and you're looking for that, that third big, that fourth big. You know, he kind of checks a lot of those boxes. In your opinion, did you think he, you know, he got the two-way contract, but is that the right. guy you're going to be, you're going to feel comfortable with heading into the regular season? I'm like, yeah, that, that's, you know, that's the guy that's going to back up Rob and Al more than anybody else. Um, It's tough because from a skill set standpoint, absolutely. Like everything you said, I'm with you. Like that is, if we're talking to, like, think of what Daniel Tice was, right? He was an okay rim protector. He occasionally hit a three. You know, and he was, uh, you know, a serviceable big, which in theory, Cab should be able to do. My only concern is, as a two-way guy, he's not eligible for the postseason. They would have to convert his two-way contract to a real contract. So my guess is they're still going to find uh, a proven NBA caliber big man for that depth piece, um, just because I think you, they still need it. I think you don't want to go into your postseason – with your only backup bigs being Luke Cornett and Cap. I just don't think if you have an opportunity to not have that be the case, you should do that. Um, But I do think he could be a guy where during the regular season, like he could beat out Cornett and camp and get, you know, legit regular season minutes. If they want to load manage Al or they want to load manage Rob, like let's just see it because like you said, he gives you that vertical lob threat. He can, you know, he only, I'm trying to remember if he took a three from a different spot other than the top of the arc. I don't remember, I don't remember it, yeah. but he shot like 40% from three at the top of the arc on, you know, two or three attempts a game. So in a pinch, if you need him to hit that shot, he can make it. It's just, that's why he won my heart because I see him as a guy who could potentially get real regular season minutes and he was a position of need and won't cost all that much. So these are the kind of diamonds in the rough where if you can find somebody and get him in your system and he does the things that their roster requires, which are just rebound, protect the rim and catch lobs. Like why can't he be a legitimate piece? So I'm excited to see what he looks like against, 
you know, legitimate NBA players in preseason games. Because, like, you have to imagine if he's going up against a guy like Embiid or Giannis, like, he's going to get destroyed because everybody gets destroyed. So, that to me, that doesn't say, oh, this guy sucks. It's just, can he be a third big on an NBA rotation? We haven't seen anything that suggests that he can't be. So, why not? Well, that's the thing that I, you, you brought it up, and I, I'm glad you, you went there because that's the thing. As you look around the East, right, they have – nobody can stop Giannis. Let's just flat out. Nobody's going to be able to do that. Boston has a couple of guys that can kind of slow Giannis down a little bit. You know, Smart, I think, did a great job yeah, on well, him in the playoffs. Man. You know, <laughs> considering the – I thought he was great. Grant did a great job. You know, Al historically has done a, a decent job. Mm-hmm. Um I'm, again, I'm not convinced that Cab can can hang up with him, but it's more with me. It's more about Embiid to me, yeah. and I don't I don't see Boston's roster as a roster that's built to to stop Embiid. Now, as you said, nobody really can stop Embiid when he really wants to to do stuff, but yeah. they they just don't have that big body. Like, and I know people love the Baines idea, <laughs> and because Baines is just bigger, like Baines <laughs> Baines made like Dwight Howard look small. Like, yeah. I remember I think I forget who brought that up the first time. They stood next to each other. It might have been Gorman. It was like, he's like, man, you, you, you think, you know, Dwight's big. Then he stands next to Aaron Baines. And Baines is just way bigger than him. And this is before Dwight got super skinny. Um, but, like, you know, they need, a, they need a bigger body to just make it a little bit more difficult for, for Embiid. Because you look around the rest of the East, you know, there really aren't that many awesome big guys that are on true contenders, right? Like the Nets, I mean, you can – Talk yourself in, I guess, the Nets being a contender if they keep it the way it is. But, like, the Nets don't have a big guy that you have to really worry about, right? You know, uh, you look at the, the Miami Heat as a great example. Well, they have Rob, and Rob is a great matchup for Bam, as we found out uh, in the playoffs, right? I'm not really sweating as much. Um, you know, I don't worry at all about the Knicks no matter what they do, whether they get, Mitchell, you know, Donovan Mitchell or not. Um, yeah. You look at the Raptors. I mean, look at everybody around the East. Like, nobody really has a true dominant big man you have to worry about other than the Bucks with Giannis because he's an alien and Embiid and the Sixers. And, and that's the only, if you're looking to fill a spot, I'm looking for a guy that can make life hard for Embiid. And if you, you know, play some teams out West, some of the bigger guys out there, but other than that, you know, cab makes a lot of sense, right? He makes a lot of sense of the way these guys play. He just, I'm just not convinced that he can hang with a Giannis or with a Joel, yeah, I mean, but like, what do we, if that's what we're complaining about, like, what are we complaining about? Right. right? And it's one of those things where if you're in a series against an Embiid and it all comes down to how your third center performs, like a lot yeah, more went wrong than, <laughs> you know, just, you know, and it's not even like, like Daniel Tice was a fantastic regular season player, good defender and be dominated him. So it's like, you got it. You can't always just say, oh, well, if you can't stop and beat, like, why are you even on the roster? Because, like, right. again, the Celtics are good enough to beat the Sixers even with Embiid averaging 40 a game. You know, right. that's just – that's the reality. So, I'm interested to see it. I think there's – he has a strong case to get that two-way converted if he has a strong showing. I think it, it – you know, it's not an accident that about 15 seconds after their summer league ended, we saw the news that he had signed. So, obviously, they knew for a long time. But the fact that he got the two-way and not a guaranteed spot told me they're still going to look for a more proven guy. It's just you look at the names and it's not great, you know. And no. I think that's that's what we have to understand when we're talking about this third big, 
whether it's cab or whether it's a veteran minimum player, you know, that already exists in the league, everybody is flawed. If they weren't flawed, they wouldn't still be on the market. So it's like, you can talk yourself into Dwight, for example, but he's kind of limited offensively. You could talk yourself into Boogie, but he can't guard, you know, a traffic cone. So it's like these guys that are going to fill that spot, you know, are going to have a glaring weakness. It's just where, where are they comfortable with that weakness being with context of the rest of their roster? Like I, for example, would be okay with someone like Dwight, who's maybe limited offensively because I know he's going to do nothing but rebound block shots and foul. And that's all I want from my third big. I don't need to run offense through Dwight Howard right. during the course of a game. Can you catch a lob and can you have an offensive putback? So I still think they're going to get somebody. Maybe they trade for a lower salary big with, you know, a second round pick or something like that into the Wancho TPE. Who knows? But I can't imagine they're going to go into the year with just Cab and Cornette as their reserve bigs. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Quick break to tell you today's show is brought to you by betonline.ag. BetOnline is your number one source for all your betting needs in sports info and odds. Find all the latest sports developments, including this week's odds for Major League, Major League Baseball season. Um, if you're still riding the Red Sox train, I give you a ton of credit. Um, I have I'm, I've vacillated between on and off. I think I might be totally off at this point. Uh, we, and we already have odds to the 2022-2023 NFL season. Patriots plus 4,000 to win it all. Um, you know, I, I throw a little bit on that. You know, I, I believe in Mac Jones. <laughs> Celtics, might, uh, meanwhile, are the favorites right now, the betting favorites to win the NBA championship uh, this upcoming season, plus 600. Uh, Bucks plus 625. Warriors plus 650. And, you know, things will continue to change. But it is nice to be the Vegas favorite to win the title. Hopefully everybody stays healthy, knock on wood, but we'll talk about that, obviously, as the season gets started. We have early MVP odds already. Luka plus 425, Giannis plus 600. I would just bet on Giannis. There's no more impactful player in the game than Giannis, so I would just bet on him and, and, you know, plus 600 is decent. Embiid plus 700, Tatum plus 1,200. Tatum's, you know, look, plus that's good value for Jason Tatum. And we already have some rookie props out there. Chet. Over, under, set at two blocks per game. The over is plus 110. Just bet the over. It's more fun. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah, just more I fun. Mean, he averaged probably what? Like a shit ton of blocks in summer league. He's a freak. Yeah. Like, yeah. Never... He's going to play. You know, he probably, you know, he'll play. So the fact he'll be out there getting counting stats, you know, bet the over. Life's more fun. Bet online is your continued source of all your betting, uh, your sporting wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. Super easy to get started. So join today. Learn why everyone is saying bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all the popular sports and games. Bet online where the game starts. Remember that promo code CLNS50 for a 50% bonus when you sign up. Again, that's CLNS50 when you sign up for a 50% bonus. Evan Valenti filling in for Adam Coffin this week here on Southern Speed. Dan Greenberg, Barstool Sports. A lot of little things to talk about. We're going to go rapid fire here. As we uh, we get over our summer league crushes and summer league's now in the rearview mirror, uh, we spent enough time on that. But there's a lot of stuff going on, and we kind of talked with this at the end of the last segment. So let's just start here, and then we'll move on here. Um, some would argue, Dan, that letting that seventeen point one million dollar trade player exception expire <laughs> is a little bit of a black mark on this front office and the ownership's summer. Um, you know, you look around the league and look, not 
everybody is spending a gajillion dollars on their team. But like Steve Ballmer does not care. Joe Lake and the Warriors do not care. They will just find ways. If they have to, you know, spend more money, they don't really care. They're willing <laughs> to spend it right now right. to to have a real shot at the title. So some would say like, you know, Wick and Steve and company aren't doing enough to guarantee this team a real shot at the title because they let that expire. Your reaction to that? I would think that's a little strong. I mean, I don't think – I think the way they're constructed now, they have as legitimate chances as anybody to, to win a title. Obviously, nothing is guaranteed. I just think when it comes to the TPE, it's there's two parts of it, right? Mm-hmm. First, you need to know what offers they turn down to use it, right? Like, if it was – you know, a player of real substance that they just didn't want to pay the 60 million in tax. Like, yeah, we should all be upset if it's, they didn't use it because there wasn't anything of substance out there to use it on. That's less of a big deal to me. But I also think when the off season started, my hope was that they found ways to improve the roster with all of their available resources. Right. I don't think any of us saw, like I said, they brought in Malcolm Brogdon for a ham sandwich. So once that happened, that sort of changed the dynamic of their offseason, where if they didn't make that trade and Brogdon wasn't on the roster and they still didn't use the, the TPE, I think that's where you can have like this black mark on their offseason. But the TPE has always just been, for me, a vehicle to improve the roster but if there was nothing of substance, the roster has already improved with Brogdon and Gallo coming in. So it's like it's 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 it would have been a nice to have given, you know, it was a resource that they could have used. But we'll never know what they turned down. We'll never know what was actually feasible. So for me, I'm not now that we're sitting at the end or the middle of the offseason where their moves have been mostly completed. I don't see how you could be upset about that. The fact that they didn't use it because like they still got better. They still addressed their needs, which is what everybody wanted them to do at the start of this off season. They just didn't need to use that particular vehicle in order to do it. So, I mean, listen, I was as big of a TPE guy as you'll find, you know, like that was half of the fun during the year was trying to figure out the players that fit who might be available And it's, you know, something where you're not always going to have that type of opportunity to bring in a high salaried player and not have to give up a seven through nine rotation player. But then, like I said, they found a way to bring in a 19, $20 million player in Brogdon and they didn't have to use it. Like would people care if Brogdon made 17 million and they used the TPE to do it, but then, you know, didn't trade Neesmith and all those other pieces like it's a six of one, half a dozen the other in my mind. Like you still accomplished your goal. You just didn't need to use one avenue you could have to achieve that same result. Yeah. And it's not like uh, the Celtics aren't paying into the tax like quite a bit. I'm scrolling through Keith Smith's Twitter timeline and I, uh, I immediately regret doing this. Not really because I will mention that Keith Smith's doing a great job of retweeting um, out teachers who need, supplies for schools this upcoming season uh, this upcoming year season like they're, they're playing a sport um but like i think boston has what the fourth highest tax bill in the nba 
Um, and I'm trying to find the exact number. Yeah, I think it's probably around like 40 to 50 million. I, I think it's think, 40 right? million. I think is yeah. again, I'm trying to find the real number. Keith, uh, unfor- not, again, unfortunately is tweeting too many teachers that are looking for stuff. So again, I'm not going to, you know, uh, step on that really, but it's just trying to find the, the actual number. I think it's like 40 million, um, in tax. <laughs> it's not like they're not spending enough tax or spending enough money. And I, the, the way <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to drag his name to the mud here, but uh, the way, you could make the argument that they're not doing everything they possibly can to win a title this year because they could have used that as an additional way to bring somebody onto the team. As you said, though, like you don't know the offers that they were offered and turned down to not use that. Again, if if you just made Malcolm Brogdon $17.1 million, everybody would be thrilled. Um, yeah. But it was a way for potentially them to improve the roster, and they didn't do it. And so you right. kind of have to say, you know, like you kind of – and I'm not going to – kill them for it but there was a way for them to make the team better and they didn't use it and by the way they have other tpes that they can use you know throughout the rest of the season that i have a little more time with and they and i i think to get someone of that caliber that makes that kind of money is tough before you know what your roster really looks like you know as they go through if they could have used that 17.1 million dollar tpe during the season i think they might have an easier time filling that spot just because you will be able to see what this team looks like all together. Maybe you need shooting. Maybe you yeah. need something like that. Yeah. We don't really know what they, they really like on paper, this team outside of this, like backup big spot that we keep talking about on paper, this team is, is loaded, right? Yeah. It's just loaded. They're might, I'm not going to say might, they have the best defensive backcourt in the league. I think kind of by a mile, Um you know, as much as I like Chicago's defensive backcourt, I think Boston having like four guys that can really defend versus two, that's impressive. Um, but I, you know, you look at, you'll, you'll get an idea of what everything looks like as you get towards the season and they have other TPs they can use. But like with the way that the Warriors are spending money and Joe Lake of like publicly saying like, we don't care about the tax bill right now. We'll, you know, we'll just keep paying as much as we need to pay because we have, you know, these three guys in their, you know, later parts of their prime, and we still believe we can ride this out and win titles. I think the age of Jalen and Jason, like if they were in the Curry clay range of ages, maybe that, the, you know, Steve and, and Wick and everybody else would be more willing to spend a little bit more. But I think the fact that Jalen and Jason are so young still, it's like, okay, our window is now, no question. But like, if everything goes right, we're going to still have more windows down the road. I think maybe that's why they haven't gone all the way yet. Yeah. And also you have to think of it like even the Warriors, right? They'll spend whatever, but they did just let Gary Payton Jr. Walk. They did just let Otto Porter walk that saved them a ton of luxury tax money. So it's like, even the Warriors are thinking are conscious of that. And then, but I'm just thinking like from the Celtics side, if you think their championship hopes, dreams, odds, whatever, came down to using the TPE, then, like, what are we doing, right? right? Because it's for once they solidified their, you know, top 10 rotation by now, right? Like, they're solid one through 10. Like, you're just adding depth at that point. So to bring in a player of substance, well, what if it costs you – Derek White in the first round pick to use that TPE. Would you want to do it? Like, probably not. So that's just why I'm not overly – again, if if Brogdon wasn't on the roster and they didn't use that TPE, 
we have a much different discussion of them right. like really fumbling their off season. Mm-hmm. But like, is a if they can still find a, that veteran minimum big, like how is that any different from finding a two or three million dollar big with the TPE money? It's just like we're we're splitting hairs for lack of a better term. It's just unfortunate that after you know six hundred days of TPE talk that ultimately I know it expired. Out, but it wasn't like now their roster is screwed because they didn't use it. Like what is Brad doing? I think he's earned the benefit of the doubt where considering he hasn't missed since he took the job, if he didn't find a deal that was worth it, then I'm okay with him not doing it. It's like, I don't give a shit about Wick's money. Like he can pay whatever, as far as I'm concerned, but like, if it didn't make basketball sense, then I'm okay with it. And if he's telling me there wasn't anything of substance, like I don't have reason to not believe him because all he's done since he got the job is improve the roster. So I just think until if, if their title hopes come down to them, not using that TPE on like a minimum or, or lower salary guy, so much more went wrong than, you know, it won't matter. I agree with that. I think it's a little harsh, but you could make the argument. That's all. You could, I, I can, I can understand it. Norm. I, I imagine the doomers of the world will, that'll be a heavy talking point for them, but oh, I can't wait. You know, it's it's, it's going to be wonderful throughout the regular season. Like I already tell, um, yeah. moving on a little bit further here. Um, LeBron obviously made some waves with, uh, some of his quotes on uh, his show, not too, uh, long back here, but he, everybody focused on it. I mean, I, 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 this is not the show for the conversation that needs to have around the Boston racism quote. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping to maybe have that at some point. Um, but uh, it's, this is not the, this particular show is, is not made, made for that. Um, but LeBron did say something about Jason Tatum that I thought was interesting that nobody picked up on or, or ran with or anything um, about Tatum and his, you know, play during the finals and how people were upset and disappointed and whatever, whatever. Uh, LeBron on Tatum, quote, Jason Tatum is a beast. He didn't play to his standards, but to the regular shit standards, like people that's comfortable. He had a hell of a season, and that guy's not even 25 yet. He'll be back. He's got nothing to hang his hat on, end quote. I think people, like, and and you you under, you understand this better than I think a lot of people. After the finals were over, or was over. Um, I think people like lost their minds with <laughs> like how well this team performed. And even though they came up short, it's like nothing to sneeze at. Um, I mean, I had a battle with people uh, about you know, getting a point guard and how I'm like, it's not really about getting a point guard. Um, now I'm not upset they got Brogdon. Like I, I would like to just say, like I'm not mad Brogdon's here. I didn't think that was their biggest issue, and adding Knock Brogdon's great. But like you have to understand that a lot of the playmaking opportunities are going to be like just transferred to Jason Tatum more and more over time. Yeah. And the <laughs> fact that he could do what he did, like people forget he had 13 assists in Game One of the NBA Finals. Just people don't want to talk about that. Yeah. Um, like it didn't happen. Like he played. And if you go back and watch, like go back and watch the high, like Tatum's obviously just shot. He's exhausted. And what he did throughout this entire NBA playoff run was nothing short of remarkable. I mean, the stuff that he did going against Giannis 46 game six, like that's a big time game. Yeah. He wore down over time, but like he's only 24 and he was dealing with a, a Bucks defense, a Miami defense and a golden state defense who are three of the top like defenses in the league. 
So, yeah, it was hard for a 24-year-old that's never done that before to do what he did. But, like, for the people that can't understand that even though they didn't win the title, that that was all really valuable, yeah. I think are crazy. And LeBron finally – like, I guess it takes LeBron to say this. And maybe even with LeBron saying this because it didn't take off and didn't people didn't run with it. Like, I just don't understand how people don't see that even though they lost and even though it was hard and even though it sucked, like, mm-hmm. this was such a valuable development year especially for Jason Tatum. I don't know, understand how people aren't seeing the optimistic side of it. Guys yeah. like me and you and LeBron can see it, but like not everybody else can see it. And it's going to, it's driving me crazy, Dan. I don't get it. So I look at his finals a couple of different ways. The mm-hmm. first is how, what you said, right? The developmental aspect of it is very valuable. And, and even further in that LeBron coat, he talked about how, it was very similar to his first finals against the Spurs. Yep. You look at their production numbers, they're basically identical, right? So I, I'm with LeBron on that. But I also think when you want to consider and talk about Tatum about being that elite franchise, top five, top 10 type guy, this is the price you pay, right? When you're great, he like if he was awesome and was named finals MVP, it would be, you know, Unbelievable! Like the praise would be insane. He had a really poor finals. That's just, it's okay to say, right? Not even just by his standards, but like just in general, when you're talking about a number one guy, he did not live up to the expectation and what's needed of that caliber of player. It's just, it's just what happened. So when that happens, you're going to get killed. You're going to get dragged. You're going to have to deal with, the brunt of that, you know, criticism. And that's just part of being in this city. It's part of being in that position as the franchise guy. But it is very important to keep perspective of what we're talking about, right? Like we're talking about the NBA finals. We're not talking about a guy that flames out in the second round every year. We're not talking about a guy that never got over the hump. So it's something where, you know, yes, until his his burden now is this is going to ride with him. This narrative will exist with him until he gets over the hump. The same way it did for Giannis until Giannis got over the hump. The same way it does for all of these elite top-end players until you win. And that's a good problem to have if you're talking about, oh, you know, we now have championship-level expectations on you. Like, that's a good thing, in my opinion. Yeah, he's not one of those guys. (laughs) Right, but at the same time, you know, we have to evaluate how these players do on that biggest stage, right? Like, think of how much better you feel about Jalen Brown after watching his finals. Like, he showed up. He he was a dog. He Like, I feel so much better about him being a franchise-building block entering this year because I've seen him show up and produce on the highest level and on the biggest stages. So that's just something that Tatum has to get over. And And – the fatigue aspect, like, I can get, like, sure, you had a grueling postseason run. But you also put yourself in that position by not being able to take care of your business on your home floor in earlier rounds. So, like, tough shit. Everybody's tired in the finals. Like, that doesn't mean that, oh, just because you had a grueling series, you're going to shoot 25% on layups. Like, that's where you have to also look at where Tatum struggled, right? He shot – over 40% from three yeah, or, or this is the wildest part. 
it was he struggled in the mid-range. He shot like 25% in mid-range and he couldn't make a layup. So it's like he just played bad. And it's okay to say that he just didn't play well. And that doesn't that isn't like a referendum on his whole career and what he'll be, which is what obviously people did. But a lot of those that you hear on Twitter and stuff like that are people who don't want the Celtics to, to do well, right? Like there are certain fan bases that you're going to hear that from yeah. when it comes to the Celts and their own fan bases. It's like, yeah, you were so close. You were two wins away. If he was average in those finals, they probably win it. And I think for me, that's the most frustrating part was like, we finally, I think for years we said, if Tatum and Brown are playing at their potential, no one is going to beat them. And that's what was happening all throughout the you know, the playoff run is, you know, that Milwaukee series, you're looking at Tatum, you're like, he's not even hitting the rim. On these, yeah. like, he is locked I know, in. I know. And then to, to get to the finals and to be two wins away and to have it fall apart like it did is just so, I mean, it's going to haunt me. It's going to haunt me for the rest of my life. It's going to haunt me have to say, like, like, we now know they are two players that are good enough to compete and execute on that stage. Now it's just a matter of the next time they're there, let's see how they respond. But, you know, it was kind of like, you know, their narrative early was, oh, they can't get over the hump and get past the conference finals. Like that's as, as, as far as they're going to go. Well, then they got past it. Right. So their expectations change. Now it's, he's going to always have to live down or live up to this narrative that he choked in the finals until he doesn't choke in the finals. And that's, it's a good problem to have, but I don't think we should like pretend that that doesn't exist because that's what happened. Yeah. Well, you know, again, I I'd rather just take LeBron's, you know, stance here and be like, look, yeah, they made the finals. It wasn't great, but I'd rather be a guy that got to the finals and learn some stuff versus not right. the finals and not learning stuff. And that's right. to me, that's just the, the biggest thing um, at the end of this whole thing. And we'll, we'll wrap up here with Grant Williams, who just seems to be popping up everywhere at this point. He's getting killed at the ESPYs by Steph Curry. He's going on podcasts with uh, Duncan Robinson. He's all over the place. And just a few things that I want to talk about. One of them is he's made a lot of, you know, a lot of just comments. And I guess my question is, are just, are we just hearing too much from Grant Williams right now? Could he just be a guy that just, just maybe. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's it's 2022. I mean, everyone's got podcasts going on. And and in most cases, I love when players go on, you know, fellow play, you know NBA players podcasts and talk. I think it's so much more insightful. Yeah. When it comes to what Grant said the other day, I just hate it. I hate I hate when when a team loses. I hate yeah. when people then say we're the better team. I hated when Ainge, I despised when Ainge said it in the bubble after they lost to Miami in 2020. And I also hated that after Grant said it, he then went on like a five minute rant, which explained why the Warriors were the better team. So it's like, I just, I just think it's okay to say they were better. They executed better. They won it, you know, great. I just, it just makes my blood boil to hear a losing side say, Oh, we were actually better. They just won. Like, no, you like, weren't shut better. up. You have to they beat you it. four out of six games. You weren't right. better than them. Cause if you were, you would have beat them. You would have won. And you right. lost two of those on your own floor. Right. And it's coming from a guy who had, he shown up in the, like one of the biggest issues of those finals were the fact that the Celtics could only play six guys, right? right. Like Grant didn't show up outside of his 10 points in game three 
when he was much, much better every stage of the year up until the finals. So to come from a guy who didn't show up in the finals to then say that they were the better team, it's just stuff that like, it's just annoying to me. Like it's hard enough for me to cope with what happened. I don't also need to hear them talk that way. It's just eat it. You lost. It sucks, but I don't need to hear you say how you were actually the better team, especially when you're then going to list like 15 reasons why the Warriors were the better team. It just right. didn't make sense. Yeah, it's it's bothering me. And uh, I, I mean, I love Grant. The talking stuff is part of it. Um, I loved the quote. He was like, uh, he was talking with Draymond and Draymond's like, you want to be me, huh? And he goes, well, how could I be you when I'm already I'm better than you? Yeah. I was like, dude, Grant, come on. Like, <laughs> Draymond's one of the best defensive players like in recent memory and like one of the best like versatile defenders in like NBA history. Um, he can't shoot. Like, if you want to tell me, if you want to say, if Grant, you want to tell me Grant's a better three point shooter, sure, yeah, absolutely, Great. awesome. But everything I think else, was, Draymond's better. <laughs> I mean, all you have to do is just look at that finals, right? Right. When when Grant played well in Game Three, Celtics were up two one. Draymond was awful those first three games. You look at the last three games of that series, Draymond was awesome. Yeah, he had Draymond. just as much of an impact. He was just as impactful on that series as you know, Steph and Clay and, and, you know, Poole and all those guys. And Grant was nowhere to be found. So if you're telling me not only you were the better team, but you were also a better player than Draymond, well, then how come Draymond made all the impact in the world and you were basically unplayable? So, again, it's just stuff like that. I just, like, I just hate hearing it because it's just outrageous. <laughs> and the big thing, uh, and we'll wrap here, is, is Grant has a deal coming up. Yeah. Uh, shortly here he's uh he's in line to get paid a little bit um this is the uh, jake fisher quote uh kellen johnson's deal with san antonio may also the table for an extension conversation <laughs> with grant williams in boston although it was difficult for see the Celtics rewarding williams with such a splashy amount end quote um jared weiss and the athletic he had a great piece on grant and in, in there um quote williams be seeking a deal akin to a core rotation player a sparring spot a contender in the near future. Finding a number that works both parties would be tough to define. Considering Rod Williams' recent extension pays him an annual va- average value of $13 million, either, even after making the all-defensive team. Meanwhile, this year's market, veteran 3D role player, KCP, into deal $15 million. Um, P.J. Tucker, for Eagle Comfort Grant, received $11 million. The big thing, though, is at the end of this, uh, this is from Grant. Quote, just making sure that the extension works for both sides. Number one focus is winning. You take care of the good guys. You take care of the guys to provide value to your team, both on and off the floor. I feel like the Celtics are feeling the same way. I'm not too stressed about negotiations because I feel like both parties want to get a deal done. That I find interesting because, look, he's not getting Keldon Johnson money. That's outrageous. That was my – Secret trade hope for the the TPE. Oh, the TPE. Oh, me too. When you were blowing it up, I'm with you there. I was all over that. I was like, that's the guy right there. He'd be perfect. But look, I, uh, you know, he's not going to get Kellen Johnson money and he shouldn't get Rob money either. Like, Rob to me is a much more difficult guy to replace than Grant Williams. Yeah, but you have to remember, Rob got the Rob Price. Probably because of his his injury history, right? right. Mm-hmm. So I think he was he could have not signed that extension, had the season he had last year, and probably would be oh now ridiculous now. Oh my yeah. goodness! So I think I don't know if you can sort of compare their situations, but.
But I do think Grant ends up in that ten to thirteen million dollar range. Yeah, just like Rob. And it sounds again that that second part of of Weiss's piece that I read. It's it again. This is all. Sometimes you just got to see through the BS. But again, I don't know the tone in which he said it, so Mm -hmm. it's hard. But it seems to me that he's like a guy that's maybe not going to chase the money as much. And, and maybe enjoys playing with Boston Celtics. Yeah. You know, he talked about it on Duncan's pod about team chemistry and how much he enjoys playing with this group because they're all the same age. Yeah. You know, maybe he's willing to take – because winning is my number one priority. It's not, you know, making the most money. So, I think – I feel optimistic is how I'll play. Well, if you were him, would you take the early extension or would you play it out and see – and enter restricted free agency? Well – if I had an agent who was telling me what to do, I would I would guarantee you his agent's telling him, "Don't sign now, wait." Yeah. Um, because you have Rob Williams on your team that probably regrets not waiting. Yeah. Um, and you're going to be on a team that's going to win a lot of games, and you're probably going to play a lot of minutes for a team that's going to win a lot of games. And you're going to have decent counting stats. Um. So if I, I would, was, if you think about it, he has I don't want to say leverage, but like as a small ball stretch four or five who can be a versatile defender and, and lead. I mean, he's basically led the NBA in three point shooting. Mm-hmm. Like you basically have to pay for that. Like that, yeah. those are skill sets that come at a premium. Mm-hmm. So my, what I wonder is, is if his camp is saying, Hey, if you do the exact same thing you did next year, what you just completed, you're going to get four years, 60 million, four years, 75, you know, because you know, the the free agent market, teams will have cap space to spend. And with the way the league is trending, a uh, skill set like Grant is valuable. Right. So it's more just a matter of if he's like, yeah, the Celtics are next, right? Like they are an up-and-coming team. I already have a rotation role on this team. I'm, I'm in big playoff moments. Like, I guess I'll settle for 13 million, like uh-huh. settle for 13. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's just what I think is interesting because with Rob, he's sort of like a, like a one dimensional offensive player. Like his value is jumpers coming. There's a jump shot. coming. It's coming. I hate, but you know what I mean? Like he's not, he's not as, as versatile in offensively as someone like Grant would be yeah. at, at that position. So it'll be fascinating to see if, if Brad is able to get him on another, like, you know, four for 44 or something like that, where it's, it's just so team friendly. Yeah. Just build him a statue, right? Like just build him the statue, like just get it out of the way. If he's getting Rob at a discount, right. He's, he's getting Brogdon for a ham sandwich. He's convincing Gallo to come here. Mark Steele too. Yeah. And you know, the market deal was a discount. You know, he won defensive player of the freaking year after signing that deal. So I just, you do get the sense that Grant is like a culture, like that stuff matters to him. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like we don't know, like yeah. money is money. And it's none of it's us where, regular people can, can, can imagine turning down. Yeah. Uh, like I think we all want to buy into this, you know, like we want them to care about the Celtics as much as we care about the Celtics. But if you're telling me like, you know, I have the potential to make 60 million as opposed to 45 million. And all I have to do is just not get hurt. Like, I don't know. It's, it's a tough call, but, um, but I, I don't think he signs one. And I, and if he doesn't, then we get into the situation where 
what does Brad do? Does he match? Like, if someone just overpays for him, do you let him walk? Does he then turn into a sign-and-trade type guy? Who are you going to do to replace him if Al Horford is, you know, on the, the end of his run? I think that's why maybe you also you could make the case that Brad will not lowball him because they do need an Al replacement, yeah, right? right? So maybe his extension will be not Keldon Johnson money, but it won't be a, a significant – you know, discount because right. they know that that's going to be a position of need pretty quickly. Yep. So that's, that's fair. And it'll be interesting to see what they do. I, I don't think a deal gets done. I'd be surprised if the deal got done. Me too. I, I was more confident in Rob just because of the injury history, Right. but with Grant, I, I see him, I see him playing out the year uh, and then, you know, getting a qualifying offer next summer. Yeah. That, that's, that's probably, again, you got to understand everybody. There's an agent on the other end of this who's making a living off of what Grant does. So yeah. And you better believe that they're yeah. already like tampering. He's already seen like, oh right. well, team X, Y, and Z are going to have cap space. You could, you're going to be a potential fit for them. Right. Like, let's just play it out. But it is a gamble because if he regresses, maybe that offer doesn't exist. So that's why you know maybe it's a blessing I wasn't you know gifted all this athletic talent, so I wouldn't have to make these tough decisions right. as to whether to gamble or not on myself. So, yeah, that's yeah. that. I can't imagine the stress. I mean, didn't Marcus talk about that? how, you know, he was a little stressed out from that potential upcoming, you know, contract extension, and then he signed it, and then he played – again, he played his, his best year last year. So, you know, maybe there's something to that. So maybe, you know, that's maybe that's the pitch to Grant. Get this out of the way so you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to focus on this. You can just play basketball. That'd be yeah. – if I'm Brad, that's what I'm – that's what I'm coming to the table with. Like, yeah, and we're also giving you $40 million. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you'll be okay. Yeah, life's going to be fine. Um, all right, that will uh, that'll do it for this episode of Celtics Beat here on CLNS Media. Uh, make sure you subscribe to this podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. Uh, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel as well, uh, CLNS Media. And there's like CLNS Celtics all access to a couple different channels. You get not only this show in full, but you get clips from this show if you wanted to get, get you know, a little more narrowed down. Um, we have all that going on. Get interactive in the comment section. Make sure you uh, rate uh, our particular podcast in iTunes. Like, I don't care if you badmouth me. Just give us five stars and then just oh, say whatever yeah, you want. That's all that I don't really care. I, I love that stuff. I, I love getting roasted online. It's fun as hell. Um, but remember, this show is powered by BetOnline.ag. Dan Greenberg, thank you very much, sir. Appreciate you coming aboard. Alan will be back next week. We'll see if uh, both of us are here because that'd be a rare uh, win for all of us having both of us on the show. It's been a while. But uh, for Adam Kaufman and Evan Valenti, you guys have yourselves a great weekend. See you next week. Bye.